from the iHeartRadio studios in New York City. Come fans of the greatest rock and roll band hailing from Hollywood, California. Dissecting all things Guns N' Roses and anything else distorted. You know what the fuck you are? This is Appetite for Distortion. And welcome to the podcast, Appetite for Distortion. My name is Miranda. Episode 41. Holy shnikes uh last episode i gotta thank again london hudson uh nico sangaris uh, chris of course uh manager of classless act an up-and-coming rock band uh, of course drummer london hudson the 15 year old son of slash his first interview ever and they are looking for a lead singer so if you want to uh audition to be part of london uh hudson's bands uh slash's son's band uh you can just hit up Classless Act on Instagram. Can't wait to uh, see what they come up with. But as far as today's episode, my co-host and my co-cousin? No, I can't. That doesn't make sense. You're just my cousin. I think just cousin. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Or second, yeah, second cousin? Second cousin. Yeah. Uh, Sean. Do yeah. I even know Tusilio? It's, it's, I grew up saying Tusilio. Tusilio. Because that's what my parents, that's you know, what my parents said. But then I, I got them to bring back the Italian pronunciation, which two C's in Italian is a Tucillo. Right, so you're 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 half Italian, half Jewish. That's right. So you're a pizza bagel. So, and my mom likes to say I Italian. <laughs> and it's funny because obviously, like I said, Sean's my cousin, and I didn't know how to pronounce his last name because, <laughs> which is just fucking sad. We don't see each other often enough. But we've reconnected now, and you know, you could say bad things about social media, but in the last few years, it's been nice, you know, being in touch and and seeing what you're doing on the show, and and just you know, connecting through our love of Ninja Turtles and and uh, yes. old Batman movies and stuff like that. Absolutely, one of the uh, logos for this podcast is the Ninja Turtles uh, font. I love it. So that's. That's why been, we, we know. We know. I've been reading Ninja Turtle comics lately, too. Like, there's the new one, the IDW ones that are great. I, I'll tell you about them off the air. <laughs> They're great. Is that a uh, spoiler alert? I heard Donatello dies. I haven't gotten to that. Damn, it is a spoiler. Oh, man. fuck. <laughs> I, I, I heard about that like two years ago. <laughs> I don't know if that's real. I, I'm, yeah, I'm reading them a little bit after the fact. So, oh, no, well. it's okay. Uh, so I hear you might get revived, so who knows? It's comic books, you know. Well, it was nice seeing you, cousin. I guess I'll never. <laughs> <laughs> well, the reason I wanted to bring in uh, Sean today, because uh, in just a few minutes we're going to interview Christopher Thorne from Blind Melon, mm. and we were supposed to uh, interview him a week ago, and then he had a little sinus infection. And when I posted that, you know, you gave me your, your little wow uh, reaction mm. on my uh, my that's Facebook. All, that's all it took, and now that's, I'm here. That's all it took, and I'm like, you know what? I, I don't see Sean enough because you live – because I live on Long Island. Yes, yep. I do the podcast and work in the city. But when you say New York City, it's just it, – I mean there's so many places you can go. Everything's just a pain in the ass to get to. Especially when there's snow and, and uh, sleet everywhere as yeah. it is right now. Yeah. Mountains of you know, dark snow and you're just like trying to navigate it all. I didn't leave my house – or uh, my apartment for three days after the, uh, the storm on um, yeah. a few days ago. Yeah. Today is literally the first time I left my apartment in three days. You're like emerged and you're like, you know. Yeah. Yeah. I was, <laughs> I was doing the uh, the old uh, Axl Rose hiding, you know, thing for a while. Then I've risen up like a phoenix. I've always wanted to talk to you about what you have going on because you have a ton of different projects. Always jealous of my relatives who actually have real talent. Uh, so what, because <laughs> you're in a band now, right? Local? Yeah, I've been in a band uh, for years called Greg Smith and the Broken English, probably since 04. And uh, two of the guys live up in Western Mass now, but we're still, we still get together. We still play, play shows. And then the background singer, harmony singer, Dana, who uh, is in that band, uh, we kind of have an offshoot of that band now called Another Castle, which is the same guys. Greg joins us sometimes, but it's... Dana singing lead vocals, and that that group we're playing uh, we're we're planning on recording soon. We're playing a show at Arlen's Grocery, okay, a week from this coming Saturday, I think, on the twentieth. A lot of bands play Arlen's Grocery, including a, oh sorry, yeah, but including uh, Mule Kick, which is mm. Frank Ferrars, oh. uh, the, the current drummer for Guns N' Roses. That's his other band. Oh really? So he actually plays that venue quite often. I used to play there. All the time in like 2005, we were there. I was in a band called The First Third, and and also with Greg Smith and the Broken English when we first started out, we were there all the time. And now, you know, more recent years, we play Rockwood and Bowery Electric a lot, but we're excited to kind of go back kind of full circle to 
to Arlene's. It's a great, you know, New York kind of staple now down in down in the Lower East Side. Yeah, we're always talking about uh, just the rock scene in general, of course, in respect to Guns N' Roses, but they're always putting on a um, a $5 rock show there. My friend mm. uh, Tommy London from a band called the Dirty Pearls, who were really I close. I know Marty, with gu- the drummer, uh, you know. Yeah, Marty friend. E. Yeah, he's yeah. a huge Guns N' Roses fan. Going to yep. get him on the show at some point, too. But yep. they're, the whole band is really good friends with Lady Gaga. Yep. She's gone on the stage and performed with them well. So that's a really good scene to be a part of. Totally. Uh, it, it, speaking of that New York scene, I'm also, I also uh, am lucky to be part of this group called Michael T. and the Vanities now on percussion and, and, and mostly as a, a, a Bowie, we mostly do a Bowie tribute thing, although we recently did a T-Rex night at the Bowery Electric. Oh, wow. That's cool. Yeah. It's been really fun. Kind of ever since Bowie passed, I went to see them perform just as a fan right after Bowie passed away. And... Uh, about a month later, I started playing percussion with them. It started. I filmed them the night that I saw them, and then um, it, that sort of kind of got me on their radar. And now it, it's just like a because Michael T's been in the New York scene since the early '90s, like kind of doing his thing. He I think he used to work at the Limelight back in the day. That's like him going going back. And uh, but he he's a great singer and really channels that Bowie thing. D- does it his own way, and then. Just a bunch of great musicians. The guitar player plays with a group called Secret Sales that's been on tour last uh, uh, six months. I think they just played at the Gramercy Theater recently. But a bunch of really great New York musicians. Nice. Yeah. Uh, before we get to uh, to Christopher, who's calling up in a, a few minutes. Yeah. There's a really cool story which I didn't even know too much about. Because mm. uh, the reason, part of the reason why I have this current job at uh, at iHeart. Yeah. Is through a friend named Barry who he, he doesn't work here anymore, but. He got me the job here when he was, and he was also working at a station in New York City called uh, RXP, which mm. until recently, because now we have finally another alternative station here after many, many years, right. uh, RXP was the station. Didn't play Guns N' Roses, but I mean, they played a <laughs> lot of uh, newer stuff. Yeah. But your and your band was, had well, you tell it. Yeah. Well, Greg Smith and the Broken English, we... Uh... I remember we entered into this contest where it was a music video contest. So me and my brother had happened to be, my brother's a film editor and, and does kind of special effects and stuff on the side. And I do some video editing as well. And we had been making this video for a couple years, just kind of off and on. It was like a green screen deal. And we we basically wanted to, it was right after CBGB's closed down. We wanted to make it look like we the band was playing in CBGB's, but the 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 club was sort of like, dismantling around us and breaking down and, and exploding oh, around nice. us. Yeah, and it was this whole video, and, and it happened to be this contest right when we were finishing the video. So we entered the video, and we we got to be one of the top three bands, and that whole summer we competed on RXP's, like, summer-long Battle of the Do Bands. Do you know how many and, bands there were? I think there was, like, a you know, at least, like, a few hundred, maybe a thousand bands um, initially. But, we, yeah, we got to be the top three all summer long. We... We battled it out with these two other great bands, and we ended up winning the whole thing. We went on the air, we got studio time, all this st- stuff, and, th- and a week later, the station went went under. <laughs> <sighs> it was just like one of those modern internet uh, radio. Well, it's like it was just sort of like we didn't we didn't know what to uh, what to expect, but we. We made the best of it, but it was it was a bit of a bummer at the time. But it was it, it's know. like yeah, what do you go from there? I mean, you get your your big break in a while. Yeah, it doesn't big breaks don't happen that much these days. So that that did feel like sort of our big break. And then no, it, RXP was making noise yeah. back then. Uh, yeah. I'm sure many people know the name Matt Penfield. Yep, uh, big in the rock world, he was the the morning host there. Yep. Um, I mean, New York has a really big rock scene, and the fact that you beat out all these other bands says a lot. And I think it's that is a nice little segue to talk to Christopher because, yeah. you know, Blind Melon yeah. obviously got big really because of No Rain, and he'll explain that like why that song or if he cared about yeah. uh, all that fun stuff. Uh, but then they, of course, I don't I can't compare the death of a lead singer to the death of a radio station. But hmm. it's like, what do I do now? Right. You know, I where was, do we go from here? Yeah. So that's in addition to you actually being a musician and helping me out and that <laughs> part of the. And I always say, I always say that with my co-host, helping me out. I'm not smart enough. Uh, at least music, uh, reading music and stuff. Not like we're going to talk about music sheets, whatever. But again, dude, I'm a drummer. Come on, I, 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 you know, I play a little guitar too, but <laughs> it's mostly. Uh, it's mostly just like uh, l- let me play along here. But uh, this also made me think to bring you on today. Yeah. London, uh, that band is looking for a lead singer, mm. and they found, I forget if it was the other guitarist or bassist, through Instagram videos. 
And I know you do that to, uh, as well. I, I specifically, I mean, it wasn't a serious one you put up, uh, but it was after Chuck Berry died and you played one of his tunes. Right. And it's just amazing. That's another outlet for musicians, whether oh, you're, yeah. you know, your age, a couple years older than me, or yeah. you're a 15 year old. It seems to be Instagram now. Yeah. People, I mean, you just search a hashtag like cover songs or something, you could find a bunch of. You know, you might find a bunch of noise and, you know, a bunch of uh, stuff you have to sift through. But there's a lot of amazing people out there that, you know, don't necessarily have the right connections, proper channels to get discovered. But they put a video out there on YouTube or on Instagram or something. And and the next thing you know, for me, I just do it as a kind of a fun outlet, pay homage to my heroes that have passed sure. away or something like that. Or, or just a song that I'm, you know, Saturday morning I'm sitting around with. But uh yeah, it's an amazing. It's a, it's kind of a brave new world in that sense where you you can you can just put stuff out there and and get feedback. Something tells me that Christopher Thorne did not discover Shannon Hoon on Instagram. Probably not. We will find out <laughs> how, how uh, he found Shannon because I believe he's uh, he's calling up now. So joining us, healthy now. I think uh, there's been things going on. Whether you're in California or New York, is the sickness that's been going on during this uh, this winter. So uh, joining us today on Appetite for Distortion. So excited. Christopher Thorne from Blind Melon. How you doing? How's it going? Uh, it's, doing, it's going good. It's going good now. Feeling better. Where are you calling from? I'm in Los Angeles today. So, I mean, it's you got sick through just trying to avoid all the fires, or, or is there like a flu going around where you are? Yeah, man, there's just a serious flu going around. Everybody I know kind of has it and stuff, and I got, I got hit real hard. Is there? I have to imagine there's some sort of regimen being a musician when you get sick. Like just like for me, I don't know. I just, I just wait to die. But I, I, <laughs> I have to imagine there's like you, there's a tea regimen or something when you get sick. <laughs> I just ate a bunch of weed and slept. Basically, <laughs> <laughs> I did the same thing. <laughs> so is the solution. Awesome. So, uh, lots of stuff I want to talk to you about, uh, Chris. And thank you so much for for coming on. Because uh, I've been obviously a Blind Melon fan since, you know, what, what was I watching the other day? I was watching when you, the performance on Saturday Night Live, Sean. I don't know if you ever, if you saw that. Back in the day. I think it was the, the host who was, I forget the guy's name. That was, um, the host was, yeah, what was his name? Uh, shoot, Jason Kirkpatrick or something? I can't believe I can't remember his that name. Sounds, something like that. That, that sounds, sounds right. close enough. That sounds guy close. Lost Boys. Ladies and gentlemen. Blind Melon. It was the guy from Lost Boys. Yes. Uh, yeah. Yes. Okay. We didn't really hang out with him so much. What, at the uh, at SNL? Yeah, not so much him. We hung out with like, the cast and people like that. But he was, he was, he was a pretty quiet dude, actually. Nice guy, but that was a good that, really that, hang with him. So. That was a good cast at the time. Uh, well, that leads us to, and I mean, I yeah. guess it's a good start, jumping off point, because <laughs> just watching it, I forgot about it, because Chris Farley, dressed up as the bee from the uh, yeah. famous video, introduces <laughs> you guys, guys, and you put on a killer performance. Uh, did you That's meet right. Chris Farley like but backstage? Uh, he, like yeah. those guys a bunch. Yeah, yeah, we hung out with those guys. Yeah, yeah. Chris became kind of a friend of the band, and I think Shannon and Chris kept in touch for a bit. You know, oh. it was almost like a continuation of the John Belushi B outfit from back in the day. In the yeah, right. <laughs> that, is, that is very true. Yeah, yeah Belushi started yeah. that. So uh, just to backtrack everything, because I want to find out more about you, and of course uh, this will cross paths with uh, with Guns N' Roses. Uh, you grew up in uh, in Pennsylvania? I sure do. So what was it like for you as a kid? What made you get into, into rock? What was the scene like there? Because that's what we're trying to do on this podcast, and wonder where rock and roll was, where it's gone, is it ever coming back? Yeah, yeah I wonder those same things. Um, <laughs> In Pennsylvania, there wasn't much of a scene. There was more of like a metal scene there, and um, and you know I got into music because I was fucking terrible at all sports. So you know I was you know sat the bench at baseball and sat the bench at football and sat the bench at soccer, and then I was like, oh, this is not fucking for me, is it? Oh, <laughs> um, well, you also had to get up really early for practice, so I knew that was out for me as well. So uh, so yeah, I fell in love with music. My mother was a musician guitar player and i got turned on the guitar and that just kind of changed everything for me but there wasn't much going on in york i didn't have very many choices i was in a tiny tiny little town a little bit of a metal scene and that was about it really so wow what was your first experience with i guess a professional band when did you decide to be like this is going to be my career because you weren't going to be a heisman trophy winner i don't know how (laughs) exactly what kind of a student you were so what made you what was the decision to be like this is going to be my path in life 
man, I just made a hard commitment right when I got turned on the guitar. I was like, this is it. I just knew it was my answer out. You know what I mean? So I was became completely obsessed with the guitar. It's kind of all I could think about. And I just became obsessed with music and records. And, you know, I got turned on to Bob Dylan. That kind of changed everything for me as a songwriter. And, you know, at the time I was listening to Zeppelin and all that sort of, you know, all the good stuff too. Um, but you know, there, yeah, there wasn't much of a, of a scene in New York and I kind of knew I had to get out if I really wanted to give it a good shot and really try to be a professional musician. I knew it wasn't going to happen while living in Pennsylvania. That's for sure. Hmm. So I split in 1988, I split for Los Angeles. It's always that, uh, that story, just like Axel leaving uh, Lafayette, Indiana. Yeah, it's a cliche story, but right. it works, and it still works to this day. I still meet people to this day who, you know, had a dream. They come out to L.A., and it happens for them, you know? I mean, it's like, I remember people saying to me, like, whoa, damn, you're crazy, dude. That's like one in a million. But I'm like, <laughs> fuck it. I'm, I'm one. I'm, I'm, I'm one in a million. That's like, there, there are worse odds. So you're you know saying I mean? there's a chance. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, well, hey, one in a million. I'm one. Okay, so fuck it. What was all that one in a million talk? That's so, awesome. you know, yeah, I went for it and, and I met Brad and, and, and that's how I got kind of got into Blood Melon, you know. Um, but, yeah, I, I knew I had to get out of town. I knew I had to get out of town. And L.A. was just like Mecca, you know what I mean? In the late 80s, oh, you know, yeah. L.A. was so fun and it was it was a bit of the ghetto. I lived in Hollywood and it was it was a nasty place. It wasn't really what it is now, but it was a young place, a lot of young musicians hanging around the city and. Everybody was playing, and it was a really great time in the city, actually. Was it any of a, uh, a bit of a culture shock a bit for for you to go from Whoa, a small 100%. Yeah. yeah, 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 no, yeah, yeah, 100%. But I had been to L.A. many times before, like, because I had relatives who lived in L.A. And mm-hmm. so, but yeah, it was culture shock, but I was kind of prepared for it. But it was culture shock in the best of ways. It just was like, oh, I found my people. Wow, I could be, you know... I could be anything I want to be here. You know, I could reinvent myself and be who I wanted to be in the city. And it was really profound for me and really liberating for me to move to L.A., you know. Incredible. Uh, so I found my peeps. <laughs> and, and speaking of peeps, when did you meet, um, how did you meet Shannon? What was that first experience like? I met Shannon, I had met Brad first. I placed right. an ad and we had this thing called a music connection, which was like, you know, before the internet was away, kind of how you connected with musicians i put an ad in the paper and said i was looking for a bass player so i met brad and brad came and jammed with this project i was working on for a little bit and then maybe a year later brad and i stayed friends and then maybe a year later he said oh man i found this singer he's incredible you gotta come check him out so i went over and i met shannon shannon played me a song called change which was his song and then i think he played me like jane says I was like, damn, this guy's a rock star. This guy's incredible, you know. I was totally blown away by him, you know. I would love to have heard Shannon Hoon sing Jane Says. Wow. Oh, man, yeah, he just nailed it. He was a huge, we were all Jane's Addiction fans. Right. He was big, yeah, big I, I always felt yeah, there was a, a little bit of a connection between the, the Jane's Addiction sound and the Blind Melon sound. For sure. Yeah. For sure. We were influenced. To the, I mean, for us, they were like the most exciting thing in L.A., like, talking about culture shock like that's the first thing i heard when i got to la and i was like holy shit like because it didn't sound like metal it didn't sound like anything it just sounded frightening as fuck Mm. you know what i mean it was like holy cow what is this you know it was dark it reminded me of all the things that like uh the stones made me feel was scary and somebody was gonna get stabbed you know what i mean (laughs) there's all those great things that rock and roll is supposed to be you know yeah you know, it's awesome. Uh, a, f- a few episodes yeah. ago, we interviewed uh, a guy named Desi Benjamin. I don't know if you're familiar with that I name. I know Desi. Yeah. Okay, so you know Desi. So he just put yeah. out a uh, a documentary about... I'm in that movie. Oh, are you really? Look, at I'm telling you about yeah. a documentary that you know that you're in. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, I'm in it. Yeah, yeah. So the documentary yeah. about that scene with Jane's Addiction and early Guns N' Roses, yeah. of course. So on the way... I didn't see the movie, but I, I, didn't see the movie, but I did the interview. <laughs> <laughs> Is the movie out? Yeah, I think you can get it on. Uh, why am I forgetting the? Yeah, it's up. Yeah, yeah, yeah okay. I, I mean, I'll I'll say it after I forget the name of it. Forgive me, uh, yeah. forgive me, Desi. But you can find it on Google Play, on YouTube. Um, but on the way here, and when I found that I was interviewing you, and just listening back to the self-titled record and Soup, and now that we we bring up Jane's Addiction organically on the way here, I'm thinking, Blind Melon was perhaps one more record away with Shannon from being mentioned in the same breath as Jane's Addiction or 
Pearl Jam or any of those bands, and they should be. Sure. I just think you, yeah, yeah. you know, you don't have the material for whatever reason, or I guess the amount of material, not the the quality yeah, sure. of it. Uh, sure, yeah, no, we got cut short for sure. So that's what I kept thinking, and it's just so awesome, you know, that no rain still brings a smile to my face. But then going back and digging deeper into the catalog, it's like, oh my god, yeah. And so many of these, uh, I think so many people are influenced by you guys. And that's awesome to talk that's about cool. that, that you're influenced by. So I kind of yeah, do cool. want to take those steps back and just find out, uh, again, meeting Shannon and just creating this lightning in a bottle that should be, again, revered in the same breaths of some of the greatest bands. If You guys are anyway, in my opinion. Thank you. Uh, Thank one of the best bands uh, of recent memory, last few decades. Thank you. I appreciate that. We had a good run. We did. We had a good well, run. Well, you're going to continue uh, it with the, the new singer, which we'll get to, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're on fire now. We're on fire again. Yeah, exactly. So we're going to get to that. But I want to talk to you because, again, because this is a Guns N' Roses podcast. And, you know, I, I you guys did uh, have some experience touring with them and Shannon's relationship. Oh, yeah. So uh, I want to get to uh, <laughs> but still establish more about Christopher Thorne and, uh, I guess, Shannon in those early days before we get to those, those uh, points. Sure, sure. Wait, what do you want to ask? <laughs> yeah, so when you first met him, you're like, holy shit, this is a rock singer. So, but what was his, I guess, uh, personality, demeanor like? Do you remember the first conversation with Shannon? Do you remember like, okay, this is, not only is he a rock yeah. star, this is like, oh my God, this is where my life is going to go. Yeah, I knew it immediately. I mean, I just remember coming home after meeting him and telling my girlfriend, who's now my wife at the time, uh, was that my girlfriend at the time, and just going like, oh yeah, he's the one, you know. Mm. He just was... He just was like everything I had read about. You know, I was such a scholar of rock and roll history and soaked up every biography I could read and yeah. read about every singer and band and blah, blah, blah. And, and when I met Shannon, he just was like right out of one of my books that I was reading. He was like, it's happening you know, in real he, time. He, though. It's like, yeah, he has, he was all those things I read about. He had that charisma. He had that spark. He engulfed the room more than anybody I had ever met. I mean, it was exhausting it, at <laughs> times, you know what I mean? Because that personality was, you know, you couldn't turn that motherfucker off. So sometimes you're like, Shannon, dude, time out, brother, time <laughs> out. Can you just not talk for five fucking minutes? You know? <laughs> but that was the charm of him is that he wanted to keep you laughing and he just talked nonstop. I mean, he really was, you know, he, he had, had that, that creative charisma. energy that, did, that couldn't quit even if he tried. No, and he was like that always. Like, people say to me, like, oh, did he become a rock star when you guys sold records? I'm like, fuck no. He was a rock star when he was a construction worker in Indiana. <laughs> Guaranteed. Talked to all his friends. They were like, oh, yeah, dude, he's a mega star. You know? See, that's why I like Whatever it. he did. You either have it or you don't. That's like... You either have it or you don't, and he had it, and he had it. He just had so much of it. <laughs> Not only did he have it, he had so much of it. And at the time, you know, I had been writing songs. But I hadn't written to change. I hadn't written a song like that. Mm. So as a songwriter, he dwarfed all of us immediately just from delivering that, you know, just delivering that song alone. We were like, we we're like, fuck, you wrote that? That's your song? Jesus Christ. That sounds like a classic song, you know. Mm -hmm. Right off the bat. And what, was the, what was the first song you guys uh, wrote together? Um, probably like Tones of Home. No, that's not true. There's a song called What You Lost, which is kind of cheesy, but... <laughs> That was one of the first ones we wrote, What You Lost, and then um, Tones of Home wasn't that far behind that, right. but we had like What You Lost, Change, we had a song called Seven Dollar Limit, which is god-awful atrocious. <laughs> um, you gotta get those out of your system, though, to get to the good it, it, stuff, you know? You know, you do. I say that all the time. I tell people all the time, you gotta write the bad ones to get to the, to get to the good ones. So, I, you know, I just write, you know what I mean? So yeah. I think... I think you got to you got to give yourself that allowance where you just go. I'm, you know, I got to write the bad ones to get to the good ones. So you know, right. um, but I tell you what, though, we we quickly formed into who we were, and a lot a lot of that had to do with Glenn. You know, when Glenn joined the band, the band, the sound really changed qu quite a bit, and we became a lot less metal, I would say, because of Glenn was in the band, and Glenn was turning us on to the Almond Brothers, mm. and you know, and Blind Faith, and all these great records that we didn't really know about right. and that kind of helped design our sound i would say so you, you th think you would have started out uh being a metal band or more probably more in that i mean we era. had i i would say rogers and uh i would say rogers and uh brad kind of had more the metal and shannon for that matter had more the metal than probably myself or glenn i was at that point was listening to kind of so much bob dylan and things like that so i was 
not as metal, even though I had come from the metal scene. We had all come from the metal scene. Right. So, yeah, I would say we started off a little bit more metal than we kind of turned out to be. And then once we kind of started pulling from our roots, from our sort of, you know, country roots and things like that, some of those sounds kind of got into our sound, and we became a lot less metal. And like I said, a lot of that has to do with Glenn. And I think that show, now that you mention it, because uh, just looking at Blind Melon and, and uh, meaning looking as far as pictures and, and your your appearance, you seem like a metal band, but there was such this great, I mean, metal, of course, is great musicianship, but just a different kind of musicianship. You didn't expect, but you guys looked like a, just an awesome band. Like I said, it was like Jane's Addiction. It was like Pearl Jam. It was the total grunge thing. Sure. That's why I gravita- yeah. gravitated towards it, but it was like a new sound that you guys introduced me to. Because there was no one else like you guys around then. Yeah, we just did our thing. You know, we didn't really discuss it much. We 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 just uh, you know that blind melon sound kind of happened from all of us just being in the room together. It wasn't something like we discussed, like I said, and it just happened organically. It just was a you know it really has to do with kind of all of us kind of pulling pulling the song in in a direction, and that sort of you know that's part of the sound is each one of us trying to pull it in our own direction you know what i mean but yet it it ends up in some other place you didn't know existed because of the collaboration between the you know the five band members you know was it the same thing with the self-titled record yours that it took a, a bit to get noticed or am i uh, misremembering that no that took about a year actually yeah that was so the same as guns and roses then right it was the same thing with uh, appetite it took a year for that to get off the ground yeah, up. but when that happened, that happened in a much bigger way. But, uh, you know, for us, we had sold probably 80,000 records that first year before No Rain hit, which wasn't a success. I mean, it was enough to make us go back and make another record. Mm. And then at the last second, we released No Rain, and then that's when that kind of all happened, and then that kept us on the road for another year, year and a half or so. It's uh, So what was that feeling like where did you feel a – because that's still a success at that point. It wasn't the success that you would get, but were you satisfied? And then when you put out No Rain, and I don't know if when you were making that video, they're like, oh, this is going to be, this is going to be huge. I can't imagine you thinking that. And did it catch you all by surprise? I mean, everybody did think it was going to be the next big thing, but okay. but then again, but then again, we had been told that. <laughs> we had been told <laughs> we're the next big thing right when the record came out. And, and, <laughs> and then a year went by, right. And we and a whole year went by and we were humbled as fuck. So, um, so yeah, we had been told we were the next big thing more than once. Um, oh, okay. But you know what? There was a good feeling though. I have to say, you know, things felt teed up. I should say things felt teed up because we had done the work, meaning we had stayed on the road. We were playing to three, four, five hundred people a night, selling out clubs, and we had we had got a foothold in there and we had developed a really great live performance. And, you know, the word on the street was we were a great live band and Shannon was nuts. And (laughs) so we, you know, we had done a lot of the work. So it definitely felt like things were teed up really well. Mm. And then when we saw the video, and I hate all fucking videos, but we were like, okay, that's not super embarrassing. Okay, that's probably going to work, you know. And um, it looked like, it did look special. The video felt like, oh, okay, yeah, this does feel special. And then when MTV saw it, they were like, nothing fucking looks like this. Everything's because, you know, it was the grunge era, so everything's really dark and like right. all the videos kind of had a very similar look. And our sure. videos like bright sunshine, a bunch yeah. of hippies, you know, <laughs> that's that's, so, that's what it was like for me at the time, because I'm, you know, I'm 36. I remember that video coming out and I felt, you know, you, there was already this feeling in the air of, you know, with Pearl Jam Nirvana, all the early 90s, that it, almost like a resurgence of the 60s in a way, but in a... No doubt. That video sort of almost brought it full circle because now it was hippies kind of... A hippie vibe maybe connecting to the what was going on musically, and it was... I agree. It's powerful. I agree, yeah. Kelly. Yeah, yeah. I agree. We were the we were the hippie version of, of that <laughs> thing that was going on. and Certainly that video, and yeah. Then, yeah. <laughs> and then that happened in a big way. I mean, when that happened, that happened. That felt like that happened overnight. It took a year to get there, but when MTV grabbed the video and said, this is going to be, there was a thing called Buzzbin back in those days. Right, I remember that. And at that time, if you got into Buzzbin, you were pretty much guaranteed a gold record. It was like, it was the golden ticket, basically. Mm, yeah. I remember sitting in the back of the bus and Glenn going, you realize every band that's gotten Buzzbin has, has a gold record. I was like, oh, really? Wow. Okay, cool. And then sure enough, you know, they started playing that video and within a week, 
I'll tell you a story. I'll never forget. We were playing Mississippi Knights, which is this great, great club um, in St. Louis. It's called Mississippi Knights, but it's actually in St. Louis. <laughs> great, great place. And you stay across the street from the club. The club's right on the water, right on the Mississippi. Cool. And you kind of stay across the street. And I remember waking up and thinking like, oh, fuck, there's like a parade or something. That's whack. That's crazy. Because <laughs> I could see like there was a giant line lined up down the road. And at that point, we had never really had any lines. You know, we were playing to three or 400 people, but it wasn't like there was a giant line outside. And I looked down and people started yelling my name from the window. And I was like, what the fuck's going on? <laughs> and there must have been, you know, 2,000 people lined up at Mississippi wow. Nights for us. And that happened overnight. That's incredible. That literally happened overnight. That was how powerful MTV was at that time. Oh, yeah. Because when they played your video, they played it to such an obnoxious level that people, you know, they just played it over and over and over again. And so there was no other outlet, really. You know, there was no YouTube. No, that was obviously. it. Yeah, it was just that's it was that and radio. And those two things, if radio grabbed you and MTV grabbed you, you were shot to the freaking universe. You know what I mean? Right. And and that part, that part happened real fast for us. Um, I mean, I can't even imagine what that's like. So was it before or after then that, because uh, I know... <laughs> There was a certain point where Shannon reconnected, or his sister, right? His sister was friends with Axel back in Indiana. Am yeah, I- they went to school together. Shannon and Shannon's sister and and Axel went to school together. And Axel was really, really, really good about helping out anybody from his hometown, even if he barely knew you. If he mm-hmm. if he thought you had some talent, and you came out to L.A. for the dream, you know, he he searched you out and helped out, and he really. You know, fell in love with Shannon and thought Shannon was a superstar. And and I remember the night Shannon got the call because he asked me to go with him. He's like, man, Axel just called me and wants me, wants me to come to um, the record plant to sing on some songs. I was like, holy shit, let's fucking go. And we went down there and Shannon <laughs> sang on, I don't even know, four or five songs that night alone, I think. Right, yeah, a bunch of, uh, obviously, Don't Cry being the major one, because he's in the video, but yeah. a bunch of stuff on Use Your Illusion. Exactly. When I said you were going to be on, I got some uh, questions from uh, some from listeners. We got listeners all over the world, which is pretty amazing. Not as many as uh, awesome. you, but uh, <laughs> to talk about Carla, I mean, talk about uh, Axel. Carla from South Carolina wants to know what it meant to you to be supported by Axel when you first started out. It, it was a huge deal for me, even at that time. I mean, they're the biggest band in the universe at right. that point. I mean, in the universe, there's nobody bigger. So to be, to sort of, you know, have Axel kind of bless you and say, mm-hmm. I believe in these guys, and you, you know, you kind of get the finger on your head being blessed by Axel. <laughs> I mean, it was a big deal, and we knew it was a big deal, and we were really grateful. You know what I mean? We were really fucking grateful. Axel was really good to us. People try to get me to say shit about Axel, <laughs> and I can't say anything about him other than he might be batshit crazy, but he was lovely to us, mm. and he helped our career so much, and he was always so fucking cool to us. See, that was her and, follow-up uh, question with Carla. It's like, what was the Axel you knew than the one that was portrayed in the media at that time? Because at that time, it was crazy Axel. Now, people are like, whoa, he's nice. What's going on here? So from what you're yeah, telling me— Yeah, he was crazy Axel for sure. Yeah, he was—and I'd seen—I mean, I saw him be pretty fucking crazy for sure. And I'm not asking for anything salacious at all. I'm just saying what your perception of him was, but it seems to be very positive. Well, people were scared the fuck out of him. I do know that. I do know that the crew would just kind of back away whenever he walked through the hallway. And, you know, people were in fear of him. I I, I wasn't because he was always so cool to us because we were Shannon's buds. You know what I mean? So, um, so yeah, he was always super cool to us. But he um, he ran a really tight ship, I tell you, man. He, wrote, he ran a tight ship, and people were on eggshells around him, I can tell you that. Why do you but think it was? Crazy. I don't know, man. He was a perfectionist. I tell you what, he got off, you know, I would see him get off stage every night and go back to his room and watch the entire fucking performance and take notes. Mm. So, you know, he was like, um, he was really a pro, man. I got to tell you, I learned a lot. I learned a lot about, you know, just being professional. He was very fucking professional at that point. You know what I mean? I mean, they're playing stadiums, so it's like, you just can't afford to be, you know, you can't afford to be okay when you're playing stadiums, you know. So he took it really seriously and and ran a really tight ship, you know. And they were they were amazing every night, you know. They were amazing every night, you know. You guys opened, did you guys tour with them at one point? Or I know you toured with Soundgarden. Well, we toured our, we toured forever with those guys. We did all of Europe with, yeah. with them. We right. did all of, 
We did all of Europe. We did all of America. We That's did right. Mexico. The very first tour we did was all Mexico. Hmm. They rented a MGM Grand Plane, and we got on the plane with them uh-huh. and did a whole tour of Mexico. That was one of our first tours we did with them. What was that plane life like? Uh, it was uh, awesome if you were in Guns N' Roses because you <laughs> walked on the plane. Yeah. You walked on the plane. And there would be, like, lobster and shrimp and, like, a bar, like, right when you walked in. And they were like, yeah, 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 that's not where you guys are. Were you in, like, the luggage compartment? They're like, you guys are in the fucking back of the plane with the crew. (laughs) So it was like a 70-seater, so we're in the back of the plane. You're on that plane. You're still on that plane. I'm still on the plane. You're right about that. Good point. Good point. I'm still on the plane. I'm in the back of the fucking plane, but I'm least on that plane, you know. We could sneak and, you know, steal some lobster. It's it's, It's more fun that way. Well, I tell you what, it was it was so funny because, you know, Shannon would wind up sitting in first class right, with, like, Flash and Duff getting fucked up every night eating lobster. <laughs> and we were in the back like a bunch of schlocks, you know, in the smoking section. I just remember everybody smoked on the plane, and it was just like a giant cigarette. Um, right. But, no, it was a good tour. It was a really fun tour. But, yeah, we um, there was many a night where Shannon got, uh, you know, taken off that plane with some bodyguards just because he was so wasted with slash and duff. We'd see them coming coming down the tarmac, coming down the steps, just out of their minds, wasted, two bodyguards picking up, you know, grown men down the steps, you know. It was a crazy time. <laughs> That's one way of putting it. Yeah. We'd get off the plane and there'd be like six limos and a little van for us. <laughs> <laughs> We're like, which one's our which one's our vehicle? That limo? That limo? Let me that guess. Let me guess. Oh, which that one limo? It is. <laughs> Oh, the little white, ugly uh, a sprinter van? Oh, that's our vehicle? Oh, fuck. Okay. That's too funny. Are there any uh, shows that stand out to you particular? in particular on that? What was the oh, Mexico, man. Mexico show? must have been crazy. Yeah, those actually, those shows stick out to me because they were some of our first shows. And, you know, they weren't arenas. They were stadiums, which when you're young, you kind of don't know the difference. You're like, I don't know. They're both fucking big. Right. But no, one's way, way bigger. (laughs) A stadium is, you know, we were playing to 80,000 people a night, you know, an arena is like 20,000. Right. But these stadiums we were playing in Mexico were like 80 to a hundred thousand people. So they were just really, they were maddening. They were really, really, really crazy. I'll never forget. I'll never forget the end of a a song called Deserted, and I'd never seen an 80,000 people. They were flicking their lighters to the beat at the end of the song, and I remember that was the first time that ever happened for me, and I just felt like like the whole band was levitating because it was just like... 80,000 people flicking their lighters because back in those days no one had cell phones. I was just about to say. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Now it's all cell phone law. Oh, yeah, like shitty now, but back in those days with like a real flame, it looked amazing, and they were turning them on and off to the beat, and I was like, wow. that's incredible. <laughs> so, yeah, it was amazing. wild, and people thought, you know, the Mexican culture down there, they didn't they didn't know no one gave a fuck about us in the States. They just thought we were megastars because right. of Guns N' Roses, <laughs> you know, playing to all these people, but we were nobodies. But yet in Mexico, like, you know, Little Mexican girls are waiting for us at the hotels, and we're like, "Wow, this is great! We're fucking rock stars! This is amazing!" <laughs> in Mexico, and then we didn't sell any records for a year. But at that point, we were like, "This is going to be easy! This is awesome!" <laughs> <laughs> we thought it was going to be like you know jets and limos the whole time, and we, we were we were wrong. Actually, this leads to uh, another question from a listener, Iman from St. Louis. Then he wants to know how the, your your recording of your first record differed than Soup. Because did they put any more pressure on you to be the next Guns N' Roses since they had time? No. No? No, we had never felt pressure. That's the one thing I could say about the music business oh. back then compared to, you know, what it what it became. No, we had never, you know, I tell bands this all the time. I had never even heard the word single. Like, no one ever even, no one ever said to us, hey, you've got to make sure you have a single and you've got to oh, make wow. sure you write these sort of songs. And no, hell no. We were like, leave us alone. I mean, that's kind of like... Back in those days, the music business was smart enough to go, hey, you know what? We kind of don't know what's happening here, but you kids know what's happening, so we'll follow your lead, and you guys do what the fuck you want. I mean, honestly, we had 100% creative control. That's amazing. Because probably five years before that, in the 80s, things were still maybe more single-based, but I guess the ushering or whatever Absolutely you want to call grunge, like cha- maybe changed that a bit to be more album-focused. That's and... an interesting uh, thought process. So I never even like realized that. Yeah. That yeah, maybe was... a lot of those bands back then were kind of goes like, hey, let them do what they're doing. They're doing something right. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, we were we were just cut loose, and it was like we just kind of took over the airways, and 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 we didn't, you know, there was never a discussion about that. So coming into the soup record, mm. you know, we didn't have pressure, or if we did, we were too naive to even realize it because we had just sold a shit ton of records. We we're like, fuck it, we're rich, we could do whatever the fuck we want now. <laughs> you know what I mean? So I think we would have felt a lot more pressure if no rain wouldn't have happened. Then yes, we would have had pressure because then we would have been fighting for our survival okay. because if no rain didn't happen and we didn't deliver a hit, we were done. I mean, you know what I mean? We were done as cool as record companies were back then. It's, it is about money. So if we wouldn't have sold records, we would have been done, you know, but so you could coast coming on that, in the that record, one big hit, if you have that one mega hit, you can really coast on it and it takes a lot of the pressure. Yeah. Off. yeah. That mega hit made us say to the company, you know what? Just leave us a fuck alone again. You know what I mean? Like, you know what I mean? Just leave us alone. We're making our own record, you know? So, we didn't even have the A and R guy come and hang out with us during that soup record. You know what I mean? We just made the record and delivered it, basically. You know. Was there anything creatively that you wanted to to do different? To, and again, I got to you know, it's a Guns N' Roses podcast. Got to compare. Uh, Axel famously said he wants to bury Appetite, and that's why he made you know the illusion so grand. Was there any vision that was different after your success? To be like, hey, I think we wanted to bury No Rain. Okay. I definitely think we wanted to bury No Rain because I think No Rain became bigger than the band. Hmm. And it was the one weird song on the record. It wasn't the song that sounded like Blind Melon. So I think we had a frustration. I think we were real grateful for that hit because it saved our ass. But I think we were kind of frustrated that that wasn't really the sound of the band. We had felt like so many other songs felt like the sound of our band, you know. So I think we wanted to come in there and bury No Rain. And I think we just didn't really care about hit songs, and we just wanted to make some some a really great piece of art. I think that's where our head was, you know. And you guys did, I think. What was with Galaxy? Was that chosen as to be like the single? Because it's 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 to me, it's much more of an album. Like a, it's much more of a you don't listen to, you know, No Rain obviously stands stands out in the in the self titled, but this felt more of just like you got to listen to this album straight through. You know, yeah, you did. You did. Yeah, that's the sort of record we made. And the record company picked that as a single. Like I said, we never thought about singles. So right. they were like, oh, okay, we it. think we can get this on the radio, you know. Right. I do know they were bummed. You know, that was the first time we had ever heard the company go like, oh, man, this record's dark. I remember hearing, oh, the record's so dark. You know what I mean? I remember them being kind of bummed about that. I think they wanted a no rain, but they were not going to get it. it's not that dark actually it just doesn't have the sunshine no rain track on it necessarily but it's not like a no it's like partly cloudy yeah it's partly cloudy it's partly cloudy I mean the lyrics are pretty dark I mean Shannon was going through some shit so I think you know they were hearing some of those lyrics going like uh oh what's going on here guys Mm, yeah and it was shortly after though that uh yeah right yeah exactly so So. I guess um because we don't need to uh, I don't want you to relive uh, too much of that uh, but what was the decision for you to, I guess, disband, uh, mainly because I asked now, because you look at bands, again, like Stone Temple Pilots, uh, who, you know, Scott Weiland, and even with Chester Bennington, uh, will Linkin Park do anything in the future? Um, so, I mean, what was the decision to disband? Because there are some bands that will try to continue. Uh, but Yeah, well, we did try at first, but... Right. We didn't know any better. I mean, we didn't know what else to do. So we did try, but I wasn't into it. I wasn't ready to move on. Okay. Even though we had done auditions and we had hung out with some singers. I don't know. For me, my heart was broken. I wasn't ready. I wasn't ready to move on. I wasn't, even though I went along with it because it was, I didn't know what else to do. So I went along with sort of the group, so to speak. And we never really found that guy until 15 years later when we found Travis. I mean, that, see, I like, I understand that, meaning you weren't ready to move on. And I think that goes uh, within the band, of course, obviously, and then outside the band, with meaning the fans. You know, people. Yeah. Uh, I'm not even just again relating it to Blind Melon. I'm looking at just, uh, just the most recent example would just again have to be uh, STP. That it's too soon for some fans. But would you say that it, it's more up to the band and how you want to proceed in your life than, and you don't owe fans anything? You can't speak for them, but I don't know if you had a certain mindset to continue for yourself for the fans uh or you just didn't know what you were again uh i've dealt with with sudden loss sometimes you just don't know what to do and it was whatever i would happens, say i didn't happens. know yeah i would say i didn't know i would say i didn't know that's a fair answer i would say yeah um but i would say ultimately it's so easy these days on the internet 
to just judge every fucking buddy, but mm-hmm. you can't judge those guys. You can't judge those guys. You don't know the pain they're going through. And let mm-hmm. me tell you something. The first thing that you want to do is be around your brothers when you have that pain. Of course. So I get, I get that those stunt double pilots guys are like, let's just find a singer and get back to what we do. This is what we fucking do. You know what I mean? It makes right. us feel good. I want to be around my brothers. And that's a part of their healing process. So, like, you can't judge them for going out and doing it. Of course. Yeah. You know what I mean? Trust me. I, I, I guarantee you they wish Scott was around. But he's not. Right. So at a certain point, you know, you've got to go on. And if that's what makes you feel good, then that's what you've got to do. And, and, you, and you're not, and you're not finding that. Right, exactly. And you're not finding these lead singers casually. You're finding the person that no. can be them, their own voice, but also channel yeah. a certain energy that, that you know, exactly. Yeah. I think that's what took Alice in Chains so long. And I think yeah, William Duvall is awesome. You know, it's, He's fucking amazing. When I first heard it, I'm like, this sounds, I mean, you can't replace Lane, but I'm like, I still love this music. I'm going to get there. Right I do there. too. I saw the show and I was like, I love these songs. I want to hear these songs. And Jerry's a god, and he's fucking the shit. And I want to go see fucking Jerry and the guys play these songs. Right. I you think know? that's what a lot so, of it, too, is, is is the live experience. Because, you know, you hear about STP and a new singer, and you watch a YouTube clip, and you can, you know, there's going to be an internet troll who writes it off. And then you go see it live, and once again, it's not going to be Scott, but you get that feeling live with the crowd around yeah. you and all these fans. And that's what, I think that's what continuing these you know these legacies is, is about well not dealing with a death but that's what my feeling was with uh acdc with axel rose and recently interviewed scott ian who said the same thing yeah. when i first sure. heard about it, i'm like even though i'm an axel fan i'm like that's just weird and then i went yeah. to, i started watching clips online went to the show blown away scott like, ian good, said yeah. it's the best scott ian said it's the best acdc show he's ever seen with axel rose i mean oh, that's, that's cool that's insane to me cool. so i guess everyone is different. But you learn as you get older and sort of bands that have like this sort of legacy, whatever the fuck that means. Um, <laughs> right. You realize the songs are bigger than the band. And it's, mm. it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a new thing that you kind of deal with as you get older. You go, you know what? The songs are bigger than the band. People want to hear the songs. Yeah. So, and that's liberating. You know what I mean? It's not about us. It's about the songs. So it's like, it feels good to go out and play these songs for people. You know what I mean? And it is us. We wrote the damn song. So we're allowed to go out and play these songs. Absolutely. You know? Absolutely. Then uh, another question that leads into this. Uh, Mr. M from Ireland, he wants to know, what was the first conversation like when you decided to look for, which would eventually become Travis? When was the first conversation about finding Well, it singer? didn't even happen that way. Brad and I were record producers uh, in Los Angeles and Atlantic Records. You know, we had got we we would get calls all the time from record companies going, "Hey, you know, this guy's a fan of Blind Melon. We write songs with him. We're thinking about signing him." Blah blah blah. So that's how we met Travis. We were not looking for a Blind Melon oh, okay. anyway. Hmm. We met Travis and we wrote, I think we wrote three songs with him and recorded them, and they were fucking badass. And um, you know, Brad and I were like, "God damn, this kid reminds us of Shannon so fucking much," you know. And um, and then that's how we were like. Man, would you ever want to sing Blind Melon songs? And he was like, "You kidding me? I'm the biggest fan ever." So wow. that's how that that happened organically. We weren't right. we weren't actively searching for a singer. That happened fully organically. That's the best way to do it. I mean, that's such a blessing. It is the best way, yeah. and that's why it kind of felt real and it felt real again. It didn't feel like we're doing this for money. We didn't feel like we were doing this because the record company told us to do it. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. That's awesome. That's that's totally. If we were awesome. doing it for money, we would have done it 15 years earlier because that's when all the money was. See, with, that's another thing. <laughs> that's another thing. If fans say that whether it's a replacement of someone who you know, whether it be a death or the band broke up, that it sometimes it's just a money grab. Of course, that being with Guns N' Roses, are they friends again, or is this a money grab? But to hear uh, for you that this happens so organically, I think yeah. is, is the best way. And I can I can't. That has to translate live which is probably the most challenging thing more than in the studio. No? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We knew immediately when we started playing those songs with Travis. We're like, oh, we can go out and do this, you know. But, yeah, it's frustrating when people, you know, say it's a money grab because the truth is is I took a pay I, I took a pay cut to go out in 2007 and do Blind Melon again. I was a 
working record producer making five times the amount of money that I did in Blind Melon. So it's like, it was real frustrating. People go, no, you're doing it for money. I'm like, fuck, no, I'm not. I'm going to trust me. I'm taking a pay cut. I want to do it. Right. You want to see my W-2s? I'll prove it. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It was frustrating hearing that from people saying, no, trust me, we're not doing this for money. We lost our ass on that tour, but we wanted to go out and play songs for you guys, you know? So, and, and I don't believe, you know, people want to say things with Guns N' Roses and yeah, are they making tons of money? Yeah. But you know what? In the end, you do it because you fucking love it. You know what I mean? It's like, you think the stones are out there because they need to make money? No, they do it because they love it. Yeah. And it's still the best high you can ever have. Right. So that's why bands do it. You know what I mean? Oh, absolutely. You can tell. I mean, you can tell when someone's together for the love of it and money may be a part of yeah. it. But if it's Motley Crue, they were open. We hate each other. I yeah, I, exactly. I, that, that's, just, that's why I didn't want to go see them on that last tour. I mean, I'm like, I, you yeah, guys yeah. hate each other. I go, well, why? Yeah, yeah, that's no fun. It's just going to be depressing. Uh, another thing we talked about, was there any conversation once you met Travis to work with him under a different name? Uh, or, or the- oh yeah, absolutely. We okay. yeah, that was the, the discussion immediately, and then we were like, "Well, that's weird. We're the dudes in Blind Melon, <laughs> so we're gonna go out and play our own songs under a different band name, so we become our own cover band." We're like, "That's fucking weird." Oh, like, so it wasn't like oh, so you were obviously still gonna play Blind Melon stuff. It was never like, "Hey, we're gonna completely wipe the slate clean and just start a new band." No, we always no. I mean, a part of me wanted to go out and play those songs. A lot of those songs I never got to play for Blind Melon fans because Shannon died a month into the Super Record, yeah, you know, right. the, the release of the Super oh, Record. Yeah. So for me, I had worked so hard on that Super Record, and we had never really gone out and toured that Super Record. So uh-huh. for me, I'm like, I want to go out and play these songs. So. Mm-hmm. It would have been weird to not have the Blind Melon name, and then here I am. I'm in the band. I wrote the damn songs. You know, we all wrote the songs, and yet I can't use my Blind Melon name. I have okay. to go under a different name. You know what I mean? So, And we also thought no one knew who the fuck we are. You know what I mean? <laughs> right. Well, so, that's something else like, that we discussed, though, is sometimes the, the name usage. Like, should uh, Chinese Democracy have been an Axl Rose solo project or Guns N' Roses or... Things in, in Bobby Blotzer trying to take the rat name, even though he was yeah. an original member. So sometimes they, that's how these questions come up. But that's yeah, yeah, that's yeah. interesting that you want to play your songs live and just were kind of, for lack of a better word, kind of robbed of playing them live. Yeah, exactly. So we wanted to. So in the end, we decided to keep the name. We knew we'd piss some people off, but we were like, we felt like it's the four of us. It's the four of us. We wrote these songs with Shannon. We deserve the name. You know what I mean? Why don't Absolutely. we get the name? You, know. you do deserve the name. So then catch us up with what's going on with uh, with Travis and, and Blind Melon, because you guys are still doing it. And that's the reason why I wanted to talk to you. It wasn't just a... Yeah, man, we're making a new record, and, yeah. you know, and it's felt really good. It's felt really good for the first time in a while, and we're, we're writing, you know, really great songs. We're all really, really pumped. We recorded uh, seven songs here at my studio at Fireside Sound in Los Angeles um, a couple weeks ago. Um Around the middle of December, the guys came out and spent four or five days tracking seven songs. And, yeah, we're just carving out a record. We're going to do a record. We'll do another session, cut another seven or so songs, seven to ten songs, and then we'll have a record. What what was Travis doing before uh, he joined you guys? He was, uh, you know, like I said, he was being courted by Atlantic Records, and, you know, he was in a couple different bands and, you know, he, he had a bunch of interest in the, in the music business. You know, he was, he was the new hot, he was the new hot shit in town. Mm. And, um, so, but you know, he was doing that and then we went on to do the blind melon thing. And, um, but Travis always is, Travis is super prolific. So he he always has like three projects he does, you know? Right. Of course. He's got that, that same sort of energy that's hard to contain. I imagine. Yeah, he does. He actually has it. That's why he reminded us so much of Shannon. He had that same sort of energy and, came from a lot of the same background and you know when do you think we um and obviously there's a lot of recording to get done but when you anticipate this and like maybe this year or next year when do you think we might uh, hear it oh no i think we have a april june release oh even sooner perfect yeah 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 no we're like we're gearing up man we want to go out and play our asses off we want to play a lot this year we want to really work this year we haven't worked in a while so everybody's really excited to get back to work so we're we, we plan on uh making this record and going out and torn our asses off. We'll see you when you come to New York, I'm sure. Yeah, no doubt. We already have a date in New York, actually. I forgot when it is, though. April or May? May. Where are you playing? May something. Where are you playing in New York? I, don't, I should have... I don't uh, know. Let me see if I can find...
Yeah, look at your Wi-Fi there, Sean. I should have looked at that. I didn't know that you said uh, tour dates because, uh, of course, I was going to say if you're ever in New York, c- come down to the city, uh, Tribeca. We're in the same building as uh, Q104 and some bunch of other stations. Oh, are you? Oh, that's cool. It looks like <laughs> do, do, do. It looks like we have um, the Poison Rouge. Oh, Le Poussin Rouge. What is it? Yeah. <laughs> that's a great spot, actually. It's down in it's in the West Village. It's right on Bleecker Street. Oh, okay. That's a great it's a great spot. Have you ever played there, Sean? My cousin, uh, I'm not because we're me and Brandon are cousins, but on my other, on my on, on the uh, other side, yeah, on the other side, okay. I saw uh, Jeff Lewis, Jeffrey Lewis play there. It's a great spot. I saw Mendesky, Martin Wood there. I've seen some nice, yeah, I've seen some some groups there, but uh, it's a really, it's got great sound too. It's like one of those venues that like it's not a huge space and it's just got this like. But it's like big enough to fill, like have a nice big crowd, and it's just got a really good, right. good vibe in the room. And then we're playing White Eagle Hall in New Jersey. Okay, I haven't been there. Yeah, I'm, I don't go to Jersey often. Being a New Yorker, I think the last time was uh, Starlane uh-huh. ba- Starlane Ballroom when I saw Velvet Revolver. Uh, that I made the trip. Oh yeah, I love Starlane. Yeah. I <laughs> That was worth uh, making the trek into uh, smelly New Jersey. No offense to our <laughs> New Jersey listeners. <laughs> so, yeah, that's May 2nd in uh, New York City, May 2nd at that Le Poison Rouge, Le Poison. Right. Would, uh, however you say yeah, I said it with a terrible French, big French accent. Yeah, whatever that is. Yeah, no, we'll see you there then. That, that'll, that, looking forward to that. No, absolutely. Yeah, so we're planning on doing a whole run, and I think we have a whole Canadian run after that we're going to do. That's great. It's funny because uh, Canadian, my ex-girlfriend from Ottawa, was the biggest Blind Melon fan and Guns N' Roses fan, so she got me more into those bands when I was younger. And I told her when I was interviewing uh, you, I'm like, you're the, literally the only person I feel that I know that goes really deep into Blind Melon. They made me become more of a fan. So, you know, you were an okay girlfriend, but you got me more into <laughs> Blind Melon, so I appreciate that. <laughs> nice. Uh, I also wanted to, because the more I uh, know more about you, you played in uh, Live and AWOL Nation? Yes. How was that, those experiences? Because those are also two big bands. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was asked to join live in like 1998, and I did like a record. I did the Distance to Hear record with them, and then I played to that Tibetan Freedom concert wow. tour and did a, a little tour with them. And, then, you know, it just wasn't my thing. It wasn't my baby. And I'd just come out of Blind Melon at the time, and I really wanted to form my own band. So I left live to form a band called Unified Theory, which I formed with Brad Smith. Dave Cruzen from Pearl Jam and a guy named Christian. And uh, we were signed to Universal, and I did that for a few years. And then uh, cut to 2011. I had made two other records with Aaron from AWOL Nation. He was in a band called Under the Influence of Giants, and I had made that record uh, with him. And then, you know, he said, oh, I'm starting a new project called AWOL Nation. And so I worked on that song, Sale, which became a, a mega hit. And then he asked sure. me to join the band after I made the song with him, and I went out and toured for a couple of years with him. So what's the perception for you to be in a newer rock band? Because that's something else we talk about in this podcast, AWOL Nation, then they come out of, you know, of course, the grunge era. There aren't bands like that now. I was like, oh, that's what I was talking about with uh, London Hudson, because he's 15 and his guitarist is 15. Like what, do you, like, what are your friends listening to? And they all listen to, like, SoundCloud rappers. So I, yeah. <laughs> I, I'm just curious what your view, and we were talking about it earlier, um, you know, if you were picked up by MTV, the radio, blow up. But what about now? Like, well, how do you feel about when, you, since Blind Melon is back together again, uh, getting a song on the radio is not going to be the same thing. The, right, the, the great thing about our career now is we don't have to give a fuck about radio. I mean, we never did. We got lucky with radio, but we never gave a fuck about radio. We just happened to get lucky, but... And at this point in our career, we don't have to we don't have to worry about radio. We're not we're not we don't play that game. Who gives a shit about that? You know some, I mean? We're just trying to make well any level of success. It doesn't have to be radio per se, but it could be like today you get a, a song in a car commercial or you know a, a Jumanji trailer or whatever. Yeah, yeah, it's more about that these days. And for us, it's just about touring. We're making a record okay. so we can go out and tour. That's really it these days. See, yeah. that's that's why you you're a true uh, musician, and then Bill Plant Melon is a true band. And that's what I I always felt that you guess we don't have to we don't have to play that game. You know, we're not trying to get on the radio, so we can truly make art. We can really make a record like we want to make it. We don't have to chase what's happening at radio. That's an awful way to make art. I don't like make I don't make art that way. So to me, we do we do we do whatever the fuck we want, and either the fan base likes it or they don't, or they tell us no, it's not good enough. You know, it's kind of that simple for us. What are what are the new recording like the the session you guys did last month and 
what is it is is it sort of channeling the old blind melon spirit or is yeah. it yeah 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 it is it is you know we we write a certain way and you know we yeah. we do what we do so yeah right. <laughs> blind melon you know it sounds like blind melon for sure for sure cool. I can't I can't wait to see you guys live then yeah it's it's we're better than ever honestly we we had a really great show in Denver a couple months ago so we're uh, we're excited to go out there and play. Incredible. And I hope um, it's crazier things have happened. I mean, with Guns N' Roses touring, they get every single kind of band to open up for them. Do you see any sort of path? Is there any sort of still relationship or friendship uh, with Axel, Slash, and Duff that maybe that they would have? Uh, I mean, I know Slash and Duff. You know, I know Slash and Duff. And, um, and you know, I haven't, I don't keep in touch with, with Axel. But, uh, but yeah, you know, you never know. That would be wild. That would be wild to uh, to play a show with those guys. That would be nice to have a full circle show with them like that. Exactly, yeah. a full circle show. Go down to Mexico, get a plane, and uh, right, see, get some lobster. No, they probably won't. And maybe we'll get spot. upgraded to the middle of the plane. Right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it, Chris. Uh, so, what's the, the the website, Twitter, all that fun stuff that fans can keep track of what you're doing, what and what Blind Melon is doing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I guess it's all the you know, blindmelonband dot com. I think is the website, and we have an Instagram, Blind Melon. It's either Blind Melon Band or Blind Melon. And um, my Instagram is uh, Fireside Sound, which is the name of my studio. And I also have a website, firesidesound.net, which is my studio, which you can kind of see where we're recording and stuff. Cool. Awesome, Christopher. I mean, uh, th- thank you so much for for calling in, and thank you for. You know, braving the uh, the sinus infection to keep in contact you know, to make this happen. So it really means a lot. And this is just, again, so cool. Uh, another opportunity this podcast has granted me, you know, just so much to, to talk to that I've grown up That's listening cool. to. So it's just. That's cool, man. Yeah. I look forward to hanging out with you guys in New York City. Let's uh, throw back some beers when we hang out. Sounds good. Oh, man. absolutely. Maybe some, uh, some other stuff. We'll, we'll eat some weed yeah, yeah. or whatever. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We'll get it all in. We'll, we'll see you on uh, we'll see you on Bleecker Street. I like yep, that. That sounds great. Thank see, you so much, Chris. Thank you guys. See you, man. Take care, man. Have a great weekend, guys. You, you too. too. So that was cool. That was great. So, I mean, I grew up listening to Blind Melon. No, really, just kind of knowing No Rain, like everybody did. Yeah. And it's so cool though that that song, and I can still listen to it literally today and not get sick of it. Right. And still have the video bring a smile to my face. But what's a band like Blind Melon, where a lot of people don't do that in today's uh, bands, like if you had that one big single, like that's it. Yeah. Or if you go into it, everything else sucks. It's not like that with Blind Melon. And it took me actually a while to discover that because I think, I think at the time I was into albums, but for whatever reason with Blind Melon, I heard No Rain. I think I, you know, I heard Tones of Home, and I didn't right. delve deeper into into that record. And then I think it was probably four or five years later, I was in college or something, and I I for the first time I was like, going to listen to the whole record straight through and and I think I just kept listening I think I had it on repeat I was just it was one of those albums and then my my buddy Zach got me into Soup and as a guy I played music with in high school and and then Soup was just like an, on another level too it was it's an incredible album and it's just so cool to talk to like a straight musician and prepping for this interview I, I didn't want to just listen I'm just going back and watching their live performances oh, yeah. and especially you know Chris and, and just all the musicianship and mm. just Shannon, how rare his voice was, incredible, and that they were able to to find somebody to kind of, in the best way that he can, don't not replacing Shannon, but just give breathing life into this band that should still be making music. I'm excited to see. I'm definitely going to go to that show at at Les Poussins Rouge. Les Poussins Rouge. Yeah, it's a yeah, it's a great venue, and I'm I'm I, I was I was I wanted to go to the show to begin with, but after talking to Chris, I'm like I'm stoked to go to go see them. Yeah, now I know. I didn't even yeah. see. I'm not as hip as you are. You know, you being a scenester in New York and really. you know playing. Uh, <laughs> well, you know, you're not a you're not a typical. Uh, we should preface that because <laughs> me and my. Uh, Buddy Art Devano comes on here a lot. Mm. Uh, he's a journalist out in L.A. Right. Always talking about hipsters. No, you're not a hipster, but you're you know you're still. I, ha- I have brown boots on and and uh, and and tighter jeans. But yeah, they're I, not tight jeans. They're not tight jeans though. But uh, they yeah. don't make me uncomfortable. Not yeah, you know. <laughs> <laughs> you got the storm shirt on though. He's got the X Men. Ni- what is that? Seventy. I love it. Actually, I just got it off Amazon. Actually, my wife actually is a big X Men fan, and she she. Uh, she would like that shirt. That's a badass shirt. It, it said unisex, so that's why I bought the Storm instead of the old Cyclops one. But it looks like yeah. like total seventies retro, like uh, like gem. 
Like, right. Uh, it does. It does. Actually, I, I think I thought it was a gem shirt at first, but I was like, why would Brandon be wearing a gem shirt? But well, whatever. Yeah, gem, truly outrageous. She is, and I am a little outrageous, <laughs> but no, it's just a Storm X Men shirt. So, no, I'm not. A, I'm just weird. That's the way I've always been. Now it's cool to be weird, and that's labeled hipster. Right. No, I just can't try it. I'm fucking awkward. That's just the way it is. Uh, so that's why I appreciated things like Blind Melon and yeah. uh, that video too, the laughing at the girl with the bee. And right. That initially sucked me in, and uh, I got to go back and watch the Chris Farley clip now. I haven't seen that SNL clip in a while. That's that sounds amazing. I, and next time we have uh, Chris on, I want to talk to him more about Chris Farley. I didn't want to. Yeah. Hey, so let's talk about everybody you know who died. <laughs> right. I don't want to do that. <laughs> it's like let's talk about Kurt. Let's. It's like, you know. Yeah. No. It's exactly. I mean. I can't imagine the amount of times he's he, he probably thinks about uh, Shannon every day. Yeah. Uh, and, and why do you want to talk about that? I'm just grateful that he did talk about it to the extent that he did. And I'm not the same thing with Axel that he saw some crazy stuff. I'm not going to ask, you know, unless he's like, oh God, I saw him uh, jump off a roof in his underwear. Right. But I mean, it's nothing. You know, otherwise I don't give a shit. Exactly. I'm not one of those. Uh, but it was great. Those to, were people. It was great just talking to him and really, you just you know, you got this. He went through. You know, they went. There's just so many stories there in terms of uh, what the band went through and, uh, and you know, starting out just a bunch of guys with a dream in L.A. like so many other bands. But, ha- you know, meeting Shannon and knowing right off the bat that there was like that electricity in a bottle and they were able to channel that into such an incredible, uh, amount, you know. And again, the uh, just following, connecting the dots, how that led to Axel, who I guess, yeah. again, if you have any sort of semblance of talent and you're from his hometown, he's going to help you. Right. And who else was there? Anyone else from Lafayette that that he helped out? Was that was that the the main? That was probably the. Biggest. I'd have to actually research that. Yeah. I, I don't. I don't know off yeah. the top. You know, I I'm just a fan with a podcast. I don't know everything. <laughs> I know a lot, but I don't know everything. Right. So that is it for episode 41 of Appetite for Distortion. My name is Brando. Please follow us on iHeart, SoundCloud, uh, Twitter, Facebook, uh, Spreaker, everything that you could find us. Follow, leave a review, and we can do bigger and bigger interviews. And we've been getting just wonderful feedback from all you guys from literally all across the world. So please support us, and uh, I'll keep putting on awesome shows for you, uh, Gunners, you bad apples. And thank you, Sean. Uh, you are me. officially a uh, a bad apple. That was yeah. Cute. Is that too loud? No, it needs to be louder. Okay. I think I'm going to hurt myself. Okay. That's better. That's All right. Better. So, yeah, obviously this is great. So I guess I'll see you at the next family reunion. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So, again, this is our Brando Appetite for Distortion. As far as the next episode is concerned, when will you see it? Well, in the words of Axel Rose concerning Chinese democracy, I don't know if soon is the word, but you'll see it. You've been listening to the distorted minds of Appetite for Distortion. Follow the guys on Twitter at The AFD Show and on Facebook at facebook.com slash The AFD Show. Thanks to the lame-ass security, I'm going home.